1: The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors' summer sales event. Get low as can be, APR, zero deposit and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Dra or Cabin. You're very welcome to a brand new week
2: of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We're raring to go, let's get straight to business. Did you know this, that you're more likely to be killed by an asteroid hitting the earth than you are to win the national lottery. Well, I sort of suspected that for a long time, to be honest. Yes, planet Earth is in the firing line, but realistically, how likely is a truly devastating hit? Professor Alan Fitzsimmons is a lead scientist on a European Space Agency mission to deflect an asteroid that's on collision course with Earth. And he joins me on the line now. Alan, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon to you.
2: Thank you for taking my call, Alan. First come on, now everybody's hanging on tenterhooks out there. Are we in real and present danger?
3: We don't think we're in real and present danger at the moment. And let me put it very clearly. At the moment, we don't have any asteroids on the books that are definitely going to hit us. But we haven't found them all yet. And it's quite possible in the next 10 years, 20 years or so, that we will find something that will hit us a few years afterwards, maybe even a couple of decades afterwards. And we would want to avoid that. You know, we're all familiar with uh, why the dinosaurs aren't here today. I I think uh, the fact that uh, 66 million years ago, a very large asteroid hit uh, the Earth off the southern coast of the United States and basically caused a mass extinction. Now, that kind of thing definitely isn't going to happen, tomorrow or next week or even next year or, or in the foreseeable future because asteroids that size, the things that keeled off the dinosaurs, that was about six miles across or so and uh, we can spot those halfway across the solar system with current telescopes. We're pretty good at finding these things but the smaller objects, the things that could easily devastate a country or certainly a city, we're only really part of the way through cataloguing and finding them. So we don't know when the next one's going to hit at the moment. And it could be there'll be a small impact tomorrow. Uh, We we don't know. Uh, Something that could cause a big fireball in the sky, at least. And so we need to be prepared. And the European Space Agency's hero mission, along with NASA's DART mission, is part of our preparation for this eventuality.
2: 2013, people, I'm sure, would remember Russia when that massive uh, obstacle or item from outer space came into our uh, atmosphere here and struck in Russia. How powerful was that? Can you context it?
3: Oh, absolutely. So, well, first of all, that, 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 you're right, that happened in February 2013 over the Russian city of Chelyabinsk. And that was caused by an, uh, a small asteroid about 18 metres across. So what's that in old money? About 40, 45 feet or mm. something like that. But, of course, it entered our atmosphere at 10 miles a second really, really fast. And the energy associated with that large object, with, it, with that high speed, made sure that it exploded over the, that Russian city in a huge fireball. Now, it didn't make the ground, but the shockwave injured 1,500 people. Uh, a larger object entering our atmosphere unannounced can cause even larger damage. And in fact, uh, just a week ago, we had United Nations Asteroid Day, an annual uh, event commemorating the last time a truly large object or significant. We had a significant impact, which was in 1908, over the Russian area of Kunguska in Siberia. Now, luckily, uh, there wasn't um, uh, anybody living nearby, and certainly uh, nobody was killed, as far as we, we know. But that had the impact of a small nuclear weapon. And so uh, we re- And the point is that this isn't a control thing. This could happen anywhere on Earth. So this is why we need to find these objects. And more importantly, uh, uh, concerning uh, my talk this evening, what do we do about it if we do find something that may collide with us in a few years' time?
2: And that one you mentioned uh, in Siberia, had that uh, made contact with the earth uh, maybe a few hours earlier, it could have been devastating had it hit a city, it could have killed millions, yes?
3: Absolutely, yeah. If the orbit had been slightly slightly different, it could have come in over Berlin or Paris or London or Dublin which case there wouldn't have been a city left afterwards But again it didn't quite reach the ground but it reached the lower part of the atmosphere before it exploded in a fireball that shockwave flattened 20,000 square kilometres of forest imagine everything within the uh, Dublin Ring Road mm. effectively flattened that's the kind of damage we're looking at and that was a small asteroid we believe that was only 50 metres across uh, clearly if something even larger uh, enters our atmosphere, the damage is even even greater. And so uh, what we're concentrating on at the moment in planetary defense, uh, as the subject area is called, is looking at objects between 100 and 300 meters across, trying to catalog all of them or as many as we can and trying to work out how we might deflect one if it was coming our way.
2: Now, it sounds like sci-fi stuff, and we've seen this in the movies, and there'll probably be others made in the years to come as well, about this imminent danger for the Earth. But are we not a sitting duck, Alan? Can they be deflected? Can we do anything?
3: Well, on paper, they can be deflected. The first thing you need is warning time. You need If you see something coming in through the sky, it's too late. All we can do is, is duck and cover. Uh, but... But that's why we have suites of telescopes, mostly funded by the United States, but also started to be funded by the European Union uh, and the European Space Agency, uh, that are uh, set up to basically scan the sky every night and look for these small, faint dots of light, which are asteroids passing near the Earth. And and these operate uh, every night uh, uh, when the weather's clear, and of course they're placed in places where it isn't quite as cloudy as it is today here in Dublin and, uh, and uh, scanning the skies. Now once we find an object, then we can calculate its path, its orbit around the sun and project that into the future and find out where it's coming. Now if it's not coming anywhere near our planet in the next hundred years or so, and that's the case for the vast majority of them, then that's fine. We can keep it on the books, keep an eye on it, but but uh, just don't worry too much about it. What we have to worry about are those ones which do appear to be able to come close to our planet, in which case we put a a little bit more effort into it, we we track it a little bit more, observe it a little bit more, refine our calculations of where it's going in the future. And as I said, this is a natural process. We know in the future we will be hit by asteroids, and the trick is to find ones that are going to hit us before they do so, and we're getting better at it. If we do so, then we need to deflect it. And if we deflect it, there's actually a, a very simple technique and one that uh, we are going to try in just three years' time. We know if you, if you play pool or snooker that if you hit one ball with another ball, the first ball moves. And that's what we're going to do with the NASA dart mission. Uh, this will be launched in 2021 and it's going to fly to a, a near-Earth asteroid, asteroid called Didymos and it's actually going to hit, well, not the asteroid, but its moon and it's going to change the path of the asteroid's moon and that will show us how accurately we can hit an asteroid and by how much we can move it.
2: Incredible stuff, isn't it? It really is cutting edge and you're part of this, Alan.
3: Well, that—well, that's right. I, I'm, uh, I'm uh, uh, a ground... Or should I should say an Earth-based astronomer by trade, and uh, uh, many of us uh, from both Europe and the United States uh, had a major program just a few months ago in March because this target asteroid and its moon was were relatively visible from Earth. They were a fair distance away, but we could see them in our large telescopes here on Earth. And what we did there was uh, we we we. we studied it to refine our understanding of what this asteroid is like, where the moon is, what its orbit is like, and what the asteroid and its moon are made of. We'll get another chance in uh, in the year 2021, but then uh, we'll be studying the asteroid and its moon, of course, when the NASA DART mission reaches that asteroid system in October 2022. Now, afterwards, uh, what we need to do is go back and find out exactly what happened and so that's where the European Hera mission comes in. That will launch a year later in 2023. It will reach the asteroid in 2026, and it will see exactly what, how the NASA spacecraft, the DART spacecraft, uh, affected the asteroid moon, exactly what happened there. Now it will allow us to refine our model, to allow us to figure out, well, just, just what we need to do in the future for the, for the time when we really do need to plan uh, an asteroid de- a real asteroid deflection mission because something's going to come a little bit too close to us. Now,
2: the world powers are a disparate body, as you know yourself. I don't have to remind you, like, the world is in a bit of uh, chasis when you talk about politically in different parts of the world. But are we united as mankind in this project?
3: As you say, I'm not sure (laughs) mankind as a whole is united in anything. Uh, But the important thing, though, is that uh, the the men and women of the European Space Agency and uh, NASA are pretty united in this, in that uh, every two years we have a planetary defence conference looking over our current state of knowledge, what we have to do in the future. And that has just grown over the years since its inception uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, and at the same time, we are now starting to... We have, we have managed to convince both uh, the American and the European space agencies to, to uh, fund these telescopic systems uh, to search for these dangerous objects, to, to get a catalogue up there and see if we can find anything that may be coming towards us in the next few decades. And now, of course, we're hoping that uh, that both space agencies will fund these tests to see how easy or how hard it is to, uh, to move an asteroid into a different orbit so it doesn't hit us in the future. Uh, it's, a, it's already happened with NASA. The DART mission is approved and it will reach the Didymos system uh, in October 2022, just over three years away. Uh, on the European side, we're hoping that our mission will be funded and approved to go ahead in November later this year.
2: Good news. Now, today it's ironic we're talking because you you know about this Jodrell Bank in the northwest of England, uh, the world-famous site there with an unbelievable telescope and more besides, has been named as a UNESCO World Heritage Site this very day. That must please you.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if if you've ever been to Manchester and you haven't gone out there, it's, it's only a few miles south of the city, and it's a tremendous... Uh, radio telescope to see. Of course, it was it was built and first operated in 1957, just at the dawn of the space age. And since then, it, it's done world-class uh, astronomy, radio astronomy, for all that time. Uh, and it's quite, in, it's quite interesting to realize that we're still using uh, that radio telescope along with other radio telescopes today. Uh, and it's been used since the dawn of the space age in 1957. And now... Uh, what is it? Uh, just over 60 years later, uh, 60 years since the dawn of the space age and Sputnik 1, we're now talking about all these interplanetary missions going out, exploring uh, our solar system, revealing our universe. <laughs> and in the case of Hera and DART, actually starting to move things about out there incredible
2: and we congratulate them on that naming today and it's a fantastic one uh, for uh, the world that you work in and all the people involved in the science of this as well now let you go because i know you're a busy man today because tonight in trinity college dublin you are there and the lecture you're giving is called moving an asteroid and not to be missed we're trying to whet your appetite for it today and you're all set to go alan
3: Absolutely. I'll be there speaking at 8 o'clock, I believe the door's open at 7.30 in the physics department in the Fitzgerald building at Trinity College, Dublin. So if you're nearby and want to hear about what scientists like to do in our spare time in terms of figuring out how to save the world and move asteroids, come along.
2: Absolutely. I recommend it highly. Alan, thank you for taking our call today. I appreciate it. We'll all sleep more easily in our beds tonight, I promise you.
3: Ah. Uh- but don't let me put you off buying the lotto tickets. You never
2: know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'll do that too, Alan. Lovely to talk to you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Professor Alan Fitzsimmons there. So he says to give the lotto a punt for sure. He's a lecturer and researcher at Queen's University in Belfast. And just reminding you tonight at Trinity College, 8 o'clock, if you'd like to go along. Everybody, welcome. And you can check it out. Uh, check out the website for tickets, astronomy.ie. That's astronomy. Dot I-E. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. It's just gone into service officially. What am I talking about? The Clawhead Lifeboat, the new Clawhead Lifeboat, the Michael O'Brien. Just 15 or so minutes ago at 1.30 it went into service and I want to say congratulations to all involved in making that a reality. I remember talking about it when it was a, a thought and an ambition by a number of people, but they've stuck to it. They've delivered it. And today is the day. Best wishes to everybody involved. And Westlife on uh, Friday and Saturday, Louise, I got the uh, first hand reviews. Do you regret home. not going? Uh, No, the girls loved it. They thought they were absolutely brilliant. Sarah said one of the best concerts she was ever, ever at. I read a load of
4: reports on it and Mm. a lot of people agree with that and they're back
2: because they announced a new album and they're going new to song tour. Is good. Yeah, they're going to tour for the next number of years as well. So they really are back with a bang and I think everybody who went to A Woman and Man really enjoyed them and uh, what mm-hmm. a repertoire of songs they have already and more now to come.
4: It was but, great news from Mark, wasn't it? Uh, he announced the baby yes, on the way.
2: Exactly as well. So it was all good with Westlife over the weekend. Stella McCartney is in the news this morning about what
4: Don't wash your clothes, basically, she says.
2: Now, we've often talked on late lunch in history here, in the past, about washing yourself, you know, in personal hygiene. But this comes down to clothes. She says, don't wash
4: your clothes at all. She said, uh, to quote, basically in life, rule of thumb, if you don't absolutely have to clean anything, don't clean it. She says, I wouldn't change my bra every day and I don't just chuck stuff into a washing machine because it's been worn. I'm incredibly hygienic myself, but I'm not a fan of dry cleaning or any cleaning, really. Would you say
2: that people are too inclined after one wear of a thing to yes. wash it? Yes. Yes. Now there are certain undergarments need to be washed. Mm. We know that and worn once. Perhaps a shirt. You know what I mean? And some more well, time of the year. sweat.
4: Like you know, I'd come in here, sit in my bottom half the day, go home and change into yeah, you know, a different. So like I wouldn't sweat or anything. It'd just be
2: yeah, you'd wear so it again, if, would you?
4: Yeah, I think everybody has that chair in the room, Jerry. Your chair. <laughs> I have that chair. You have that chair where you just fling clothes on it that's not dirty enough for the wash but not clean enough to go back into the wardrobe. <laughs> ah, Louise. But you could get another wear out of it. <laughs> I love it. Do yeah. you have that chair? Yeah, I think everybody has that chair. Has everybody got that chair in
2: their bedroom? Have you that chair in your bedroom that you chuck the clothes onto that Louise says you don't wash and you <laughs> might wear again? I'm just laughing. are if
4: they say not, they don't. You
2: got me there. Yeah, the chair. And you know what I do? I let it build up on it and I wear things a few times and then I just go in one Saturday morning and just get everything.
4: Going in. It.
2: And into into the wash it goes. But they've been warned, you know what I mean? There'd been multiple wears on them. I do agree. Some people have, um, what do you call it about this? Is it a, a what's the word I'm looking for? They're,
4: if they even try on something, they throw it into the yeah. wash. Yeah.
2: yeah. You know, you'd call it obsessive behaviour. What, what am I like? I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Mm. That they just can't, not wash something that's been... Now, look at cardigans and things like that and trousers that Coats. you wear.
4: You don't wash your coat Coats, every time.
2: stuff like that. She's yeah. dead right. I agree. And it's another aspect of this thing of, you know, helping the planet. We were talking about Good it being for. hit by an asteroid a, a few moments ago, but you know what I mean? Helping the planet. The, the, the more you wash them and continue to wash them...
4: Uses water, electricity, yeah. pollutants, pollutants, detergents. Go into,
2: exactly. Everything into the water. There's a whole knock-on effect, yeah. really. but no,
4: i agree. I, I like her. I like what
2: she says. And I like what you say as well. You don't have to. You wouldn't wear
4: a shirt like for two weeks running or anything like that now, but you know, you get more than one, you said. It was when I think back when we were kids. And we had nothing. And we had it. Swap shirts.
2: Yeah, we'd, we'd only a couple of t-shirts or shorts and maybe the one or two pair of trousers, and certainly shoes. It'd have to do you for a long time as well. My God, there was none of it at that stage. I just think back. I can't remember. There must have been such a stench in our class in the schoolroom. Just wear a concert. There was no no deodorant. <laughs> you, you got washed once a week. You had to rewear it,
4: <laughs> <laughs> and re-wear, but it all smelled the same, know? so there wasn't a bad yeah, smell. I, I remember taking these
2: <laughs> socks off and seeing the rings round the top of the socks. Your feet would be black, <laughs> and they, you know oh. you'd be out running through the fields playing football or like that. You, you know, yeah. and they'd the <laughs> would
4: what, you have be like one of those cartoons where you'd have a you know that jumper with the moths literally coming out of the hose. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But think of what we'd save Think of You know We we had a little bit of cop on here A bit of common sense as well You know With the jumpers With the trousers mm-hmm. With the shirt with, with everything that you wash That you wouldn't Wash, wash, wash And keep washing it Have you got the chair in your room? Are you a compulsive That was the word I was looking for Are you a compulsive washer? Must you wash Must you wash everything? When you've worn it once. Or are no. you somebody... Maybe with
4: the kids, yeah, but not. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I know if the clothes are filthy and they're playing football and everything like yeah. that. All that goes in and if you're sweating and stuff mm-hmm. like that.
4: But on the other side, I know somebody who has... Now, they went not wash it, but you know the way you'd get a t-shirt and there'd be holes come into it or it really faded. Mm. But they'd say, I know, I'll, I'll keep that, you know, for painting. Yeah. But they don't paint. So the whole wardrobe is full of, you know, Those t-shirts things. that might be used for painting and then they go and get somebody into to do the painting
2: yeah well what I generally do is when I wear things if they're sort of what I want I keep them then for the garden or fishing or walking the dog or out and about not you know, they, they every move it to one that. of them no no not everything no certainly yeah. not but I keep things like that and then of course things become rags you yeah. know in your house and used for cleaning cleaning and, and they go that way as well any thoughts on this? If you have We've 086... Just solved. <laughs> crisis. We've just solved the world crisis on uh, saving the planet. Well, in a slight little way here at Late Lunch today. Have you anything to say? If you comment, don't forget our usual numbers. We'd love to hear from you. 86 by WhatsApp. It's free or text. Or you can call in 1857-15958 or comment across social media as well. We spotted our next guest. It was a lovely feature about her on We Love Cycling. And we said we have to get hold of this one woman and have a chat with her. She's simply amazing. And you're going to find out why over the next few minutes as I talk to her. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch, uh, Annette Callan. And she's joined today with, by her daughter, Deirdre McCormick. You're both ladies very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Annette, you're welcome to Late Lunch. And thank you, Deirdre, for bringing her here to us today. <laughs> I'm, I'll say it again you're an amazing woman you really are and congratulations on the feature that they did on you and we love cycling will you tell our listeners how many years young are you at the moment
5: I am 83
2: years young hey Deirdre come on
5: well she certainly doesn't look 83 <laughs> she, I think you'd agree with me I
2: absolutely agree and she
6: doesn't act 83 <laughs> that <laughs> she's is she's an sure. extremely active lady oh my Easy oh lady. my yeah.
2: you look so well and so healthy I have to say what do you put it down to? Is it all the activity that you've been involved in all your life?
5: Well, I'd say so. I just like doing what I'm doing. I like to be active. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just comes natural.
2: And, and have you always been? In yes, it? Always, always like that. Always, yes?
6: yes, I would say that she has been like that as long as I can remember. So even as children, she'd make sure she exercised us. So in our holidays, we didn't get off lightly sitting watching TV. We were walk, brought for long walks and. All sorts of things. But Mummy was always into exercise and health yeah. and fitness, so we didn't get a lot of sweets and cakes oh. and biscuits. We were, we were all health conscious, I think, I'll like ourselves.
2: There's a lot of people should listen to you and the way you brought these up as well today, <laughs> let me say. But sport, you were always sporty, were you? You, yeah. you, you cycle, you were saying to me years ago, there was no car, it was all the bike, was it? It was
5: all the bike, yes. And. Uh, oh, I, I like the bicycle. I mm. love it. Mm. I really do.
2: And you really took up sort of uh, competitive cycling or testing yourself cycling when you were in your forties, yes? Yes. Tell them about that trip you did from the from top. Malinhead
5: to to Mizen Head, it was brilliant. From the top Absol- to the bottom of absolutely Ireland, absolutely brilliant. If we did that for the wheelchair, yes. The
2: mm. And obviously, you do a a leg, and then you you stop overnight, and we on do you about go 80 again.
5: eighty, maybe mile at that time.
2: Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yes. And and what are you doing today? Tell them how,
5: how many days do you cycle? I cycle about four. And what's yeah. your regime? Cycle more, if you
2: could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would you would you do more than the four if you could? Yes, yeah. it's
5: well, yeah. busy like, looking after yeah, grandchildren. It's nice to get out because yeah. some days you feel you don't feel the best, and when you go out and come back, mm. you feel marvellous.
2: And is that year round? Oh yeah. <laughs> no
5: matter what the weather. What matter what the weather?
2: You're she, out on the bike. Well, she has out, a tip, she
5: but I a have tip. a bike unless it's very very bad. I have an exercise bike.
2: Right. But so she has a tip for how thing. she keeps
5: her hands warm, don't you, Mama, Oh, yes.
2: How? <laughs> Tell me. Come on. Um,
5: I'd put two little potatoes into the microwave and heat them up. Spuds? Yeah. Into the gloves. And, and into, the gloves. I've I've into the gloves? i them in the the glove.
2: And they stay keep, warm and keep
5: the hands... They keep my fingers warm. <laughs> <laughs>
6: So no weather keeps arriving yeah. Yeah.
2: So forget about these artificial yes, warmers and yes. things like that. Warm your sponges in the microwave <laughs> and stick them in your gloves. And away you go. That's That's the secret. You've heard it first on late lunch this afternoon. That is a world first, I can tell you. What's your regime in a day? What time do you get up? at? An- I
5: get up at half past six. I do my yoga. Stand on your head? And, oh, I stand on my head every morning. Mm-hmm. So then I, um, I make the lunches.
2: For the children. For the children. For the grandchildren, yes. should say. You? Your children looking after themselves at this stage, yeah.
5: pick them up, not really. <laughs> yeah. if, um, and sometimes I leave them at school. Mm-hmm. And if it's raining, I have to pick them up. So in between times, I'm um, doing other little jobs, getting mm. ready the dinner, have everything ready. Mm. So when they come in and the first thing they have is shower, they have the, the wash, and uh, then they have their dinner. And then the homework starts.
2: And you're there for all this, are you? I am there But for you
5: do your it. cycle before? Oh, that, I do. Right? I go out yeah. for my cycle at half nine in the morning. Okay,
2: so when oh, they're yeah. at school, you're on the bike in a way. How far would you cycle?
5: 20 kil- kilometres. Mm. Short, short cycle, yeah. It's a good it's a short
2: one. Well, you'd call it short, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'd be the pin in my collar. Well, I it. know
6: I cycle with her, so she's like she's a little pocket rocket. We call her. She's well <laughs> able to move. So I like the. Boat and
2: you do the same route each time. I do more or less. Mm. I do, more or less. Are there hills on it? And then?
5: Yes. Well, yes, it's yes. nice to have a few hills.
2: Do you ever get off?
5: No. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> this lady wouldn't give no. up no. ever. <laughs> <I wouldn't laughs> give to
2: her. You drop off. the gears, do you? Yeah,
5: that's I, it. Drop and the the off gears. you go. And off you go. Up I go. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So that's um, your your cycle is done in the morning. So your yoga. What about yoga? Is
5: it? Do you, do you get great benefit uh, from yoga? Yes, yoga is very good for you. Keeps away the pains and aches. Mm-hmm. Very good for your mind.
2: I saw the video of you on your head, as mm. Deirdre says there in yes, the morning. It is
5: very good, darling. Is it? Yeah. I think it is anyway.
6: Well, she's very nimble and she's very mm. agile. So that's really, I
5: think, the, yeah. end to the yoga.
6: How many
2: years have and you been I at love, the yoga? I
5: love, I love, I love my grandchildren. Yes, because. Um, sometimes we have a disco in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> or if they're soccer, she's midfield for the soccer team, yeah. Oh, yes, and in the summertime, I'll I'll ball to, with when them. I play with the kids, I bring them up to the field and uh, I'd say, oh, Nana, they'd say to me, are you... I'll go in the goals. Oh no, you're not going the goals. They don't want me to go in the goals. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder out out front and out Outfield yeah, and yeah, playing yeah, with yeah. the players. Oh, sure yeah. It's lovely. They don't think I'm eighty-three. Why they would they? It? Yeah.
2: It's age is only a number. Yeah, that's
6: it. It. yeah. well she climbed Crow Patrick for her eighty-third with all her family, and she was away up first ninety minutes. Up.
5: Yeah.
2: Was that your wish to celebrate your 80s yes, to was. do that? Yes, yeah. I it's
6: hope
5: just... to do a skydive this year. Yeah, that's it. Every year she wants to do something. different. I hope to do it. Do you? Yeah, I'd like to do it for charity, some charity or other. And
2: that'll be your first time ever doing that. Doing a skydive.
7: Yeah.
5: yeah, she's done other things: parasailing, parasailing, jet ski, and stuff like that. Yeah.
2: So when the grandchildren summer holidays are on the minute, of the family are yeah. away on holidays, yes. you tend to occupy yourself with other things. Yes.
6: Oh, I'll well, with them. She's with us at <laughs> I'm with them. She's, the help comes with us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do the grandchildren, in a way, you know, you often hear this, keep you young?
5: Hmm. They do. Yeah. Only for them I wouldn't be as good as I am. Mm. Yeah. Mummy likes young people. She do, you doesn't know,
6: like to be, be among young people. I don't
5: like complainers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're my kind of woman. Yeah, that's
6: it. Surround with yourself
2: it. with positive, yeah, upbeat That's people. me. Yeah. And she's
6: that's very me. broad-minded and she can talk to the kids about anything, which is yeah, good. Yeah. Do, yeah. Yeah. When you think
2: of, you know, you're from a totally diff- different generation from your grandchildren and you see them today, you know, with the world they live in. Is it tougher do you think on them today than I when you were so. young?
5: I think it's very tough for the children. Definitely.
2: From what point of view? How? Why do you say that? Is it because of the all, of
5: all these DSs and phones, phones, and, and, phones and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Do
2: your crew, your five, leave them behind them? Yes, they do, and they're up in they're the not, field with you.
5: They're yes. not allowed to have yeah. them in my house. <laughs> <laughs> electronics free? Yes. No. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. That's right.
2: An electronics free zone.
5: Yeah. 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 And how do?
2: Do they? Do they just
5: accept that? Yes. Oh, they do. Yeah. I have two little boys. one's nine; the other is seven. Yeah. Then I have a twelve-year-old. Mm. She is now she a means... bit of a devil.
0: Twelve-year-old
5: <laughs> 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 girls. <laughs> yes. Oh yes, yes. Oh, the yes. boys are great. Yeah, yeah they don't playing football. Does day. she
2: be egging? To, does she want the phone and to be? Oh yes. So
5: the mother doesn't give her the phone. Yeah. yeah. Well, the iPad. Yeah. yeah. The iPad. Yeah.
2: But no. that's what more and more mums and people need to do, is to, yeah. you're she in charge.
6: Taking yeah. control of it, yeah. She exactly. might get it
5: for a while, the weekend, Yeah, and that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Keep them busy. When, when you think back
2: to your own life, and, and you're well-known people, I know, in RD because your late husband, Patsy Callan, yes. was a barber. He was
5: indeed. And
2: a great footballer, <laughs> yes. and played it loud. <laughs> that's right, he did. Where did you meet him?
5: I met him in Talonstown. At a dance in Tallinnstown. Mm. Did you know him
2: before you met him? I did.
5: Him? She had her eye on him. I had my eye on him. <laughs> had you? I had.
2: <laughs> How did you manoeuvre to to get your pincers into him?
5: Well, I didn't. He came and asked me to dance. <laughs> ah,
2: <laughs> and she said, come here, dear.
5: She, she stood out. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you yeah. didn't let him go?
5: No. Was fine. that it?
2: Well, from, from the first yes. time you danced, you became an, yes. Item. Yes.
5: Yes. an item? Yes.
2: Yes. How long did you go out together?
5: Six years.
2: Well, it was a good courtship. You, you took your time. It
5: was a long time, yeah. yeah. Well, you went to England for a while, and I went to England and yeah. came yeah. back.
2: Yeah. You did? I did. Yeah. And left him here? Yes. And did you stay in touch? You obviously oh, did. Oh, we did yeah. stay in yeah. touch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
5: we did. Yeah.
2: What year were you married?
5: I was married in '61.
2: Mm. Do you remember the wedding? I do. Where was it? Where was the reception?
5: It was in Malahide Castle. Oh, the Grand Lovely. Hotel in Malahide. Lovely. And we went to London on our honeymoon.
2: <laughs> Did oh. you? Yeah. How many children have you?
5: I have four. Three boys, or three girls, three girls and
2: a and one lad. Yeah. And, and where are they? I, I know Deirdre's here with you today. Are they all in Ireland? Oh, or? they're
6: all beside me, yeah. 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 Now, some of, we did live abroad for a while, two of us, and then we're back.
2: Okay, so everybody's yeah. near. Yeah, yeah. everyone's That's near.
6: In great. fact, we live very close to where Mammy lives. I'm very lucky. Neighbours, mm. practically, yeah. Very lucky.
2: Do you know the way, you know, as years advance and mums and dads become grandparents to grandchildren like you are, yes. and family support is very important for, for you? Oh, yeah. But may I say that it's it's a two-way process, or is it the opposite in your family, Deirdre?
6: Absolutely, Mummy is the centre of our world. We all rely on her very heavily in our lives. Both from uh, looking after children, she makes dinners, lunches. She's she's running children to activities, so she's very central to our lives, which is amazing, as you said. Because normally at this stage, you'd Mm. imagine that she'd be reliant on us, but it's definitely not that way at all. She's very, thank God, she's very healthy. Yes. And able and willing to help.
1: What's
2: her best dinner? You know you know oh. when you ask about Irish mammies and what they cook? What's
6: Actually, the- I'm glad you asked me that because she is a superb cook. I mean, when she cooks, she doesn't just throw anything together. It's a, it's a roast dinner where you'll get roast potatoes, gravy, mashed potatoes, baked potatoes and five vegetables. fresh vegetables. Fresh vegetables, all prepared fresh. So everything is super healthy and it's, like, her. all our dinners are fabulous, but our roast dinners are amazing. You love the roast. Yeah, the roast Chicken, dinners are, lamb, chicken beef, lamb, beef, anything like yeah, that. Yeah, anything like that, yeah. Excellent. And the gravy. And the gravy. And very good at scones. Oh, her scones are amazing. <laughs> I'm,
2: world's, moving to, world's I'm, best. I'm moving to moving yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
6: And she just threw all that together, no problem. Or I'd be panicking if I was cooking for 10 every day. She'd just do
5: it, her eyes closed.
2: How do you make the gravy, tell me?
5: Well, I put... I take the grease off, of course. Yeah. I put cubes of ice into it till the till they. Yes, rehearse. it solidifies. The, yes. Yeah. And I take that off.
2: And then you're left with the lovely gnarly stuff.
5: Yes. yes. Yeah. I add a little some water to it. Yeah. I put some uh, flour. I use flour. To thicken it? To yeah. thicken it, and a little bit of bistro. Yeah. Because it's very salty. Yes, just a little bit. A little mm. bit.
2: And between the flavours from the meat yeah. and that combination, yeah. you have it. Is that yeah, it? You have
5: it, that's right. The kids love it. Yeah. yeah,
4: kids love it.
2: I tell you, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> won't last here much there longer. <laughs> it's just a hunger has come over me all of a sudden, to be honest, Richard. And she looks
6: like she doesn't eat herself at all. She does, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'd say you eat very well. But you hey, see, healthy. you yeah. exercise mm-hmm. and you, you know, your yoga and everything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. What is the secret? Eating well, exercise. What else? Is there any other secrets to good health and long life?
5: A uh, hard work. <laughs> <It> must be.
2: <laughs> Never killed anyone. Is <laughs> that, that what, they what they say in it? Never yeah,
5: kill anyone. Yeah, yeah.
2: Times do have changed. You mentioned you cycled in your younger years, and that the roads today, when you're out and about, are you are you conscious that it's it's not a safe
5: well I'm so used to it you probably. don't think about that she's, she's sharp. sharp I come up the sharp. turn of RD I have and to say enough,
6: she's very sharp mm. if I was cycling with her she'd hear a car yes. before I'd hear the car
5: yeah.
2: mm. RD is yeah. a busy main street it is yeah. Yeah. always
5: and it's very bad Mm. very bad the surface yeah. surface is very bad
2: we could yeah. do a bit more though for cycling in could. couldn't we yeah. could more cycle ways yeah,
5: absolutely yeah, the poor yeah, little children be. love to take their bikes but they can't because there's no cycle path yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. that would help that sure. would be a huge it help would, it, it would
2: help for health and everything yes absolutely you love listening to the bars did I read that somewhere
5: yeah <laughs> when I'm on oh yeah I do yeah. does yeah. your Go heart good does it yeah. going out the road mm. it's meditative meditative yeah. it is it is. Yeah,
6: some people put in their, their music oh, in their ears, but you like no. to listen.
2: Yeah. yeah. You ran as well in your time. Did you do I a did. couple of mini marathons? Yeah. I did.
5: Yeah, she and did. I indeed. did a lot of uh, running around, didn't yeah, I? You mm-hmm. did in, in the, yeah, you did.
6: Well, she would have done the mini marathon in Dublin a good few times. But I remember once, actually, the first time you did it, a bus was ran from RD, and there was a lot of people, like the, women in it. She was the oldest of then of the women, mm. probably in the late 40s. And she was the first home. She's very competitive. So we all we we get our competitiveness from mommy. She very much is it wants to be be her time and all of that. So that's a good thing too, I think. Well, I have the daughter
5: that does mm-hmm. marathons, marathons. Yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: How
2: much has your mental attitude contributed to your I'm health? A very
5: strong-minded person. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think it's it's everything. I'm a very yeah. strong-minded person. I won't let anything best me. Yeah. Do you ever worry? Oh, I suppose I do, but I don't know, I'm <laughs> <laughs> She's too busy, she has time. <laughs> it only happened
2: for a second and And it's then she's out the next thing. It's out and you're away, you're away with something else. Oh, so I try
5: you... to keep my mind on what I'm doing, yeah. to be aware. Yes. Mm. Like you have your good days and bad days, but you just good you on, just get it. on with it and you just be aware of it. you just say, mm. oh, I'm okay. I'll be all right. <laughs> of course yeah.
2: you will. Yeah. So, a skydive is on your agenda for yeah, this year. Anything else you'd like to do besides that? Have you any mm-hmm. other ambitions to fulfil? Mm, I think that
5: would be a good one. That would be a
2: good one to yeah, do. Yeah. So, get yeah, that one out of the way one. and see how that well, goes.
6: She, she, she wants to. My husband has a motorbike, so I think maybe I a spin on the back a of spin back that. spin on the back of the motorbike. <laughs> Nice take the spin
2: and then shove him to the back and
6: <laughs> you take
2: control in there,
6: I'd say she take it on too.
2: <laughs> keep on living in the free world. Away you go. <laughs> That's it. Very good. You know something? You're an example. You really are to many, many people of you know keeping active during the life, both physically and mentally mm-hmm. and having that strong mind and positive outlook. Yeah. That combination. Yes. yes. You have it inspired. Yeah. She
5: does.
2: <laughs> I did aerobics as well. You? <laughs> <laughs> I feel very bad. You know, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm a slug compared to you, to be honest. Look, I wanted to just say hello to you today and acknowledge, along with the people uh, in the We Love Cycling who, who featured you, and I wanted to introduce you to listeners today and say to you best wishes for the thank future you. you're a fantastic lady we'll keep an eye on you with that skydive now mm. and I know last night I was watching people on social media who were commenting about yes. you coming on here today and they're yes. all tuning in and yes. listening yes. and they said "Jerry, you're going to meet a remarkable woman That's and you know good. something I have Aww, <laughs>
5: thank you Annette
2: Callum. good <laughs> wishes to you and thanks so much to your daughter Deirdre McCormick for coming along thank with you today Jerry. we wish you well thanks, thank
1: something. you very much
2: my next guest is making a return to Late Lunch. He's Assistant Professor in Theology and Coordinator of the Centre for Interreligious Dialogue at Dublin City University. He's an author whose latest book, Humbling Faith, sets out his belief that whether you're a believer or a non-believer, or somewhere in between, the world can be healed by loving ourselves and each other. I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch, Dr. Peter Admiran. Peter, good to see you again. Sure, Good to see you as well. Well, Peter, isn't that just the aspiration, those last few words there,
7: loving ourselves and each other? Yeah, I mean, look, it sounds like it's something out of a, a homily, but I think it's it's something we all can reach, we all can, can aspire to. For me, the, the, the foundation is trying to be humble about our views and our beliefs and knowing that, look, we're not perfect. We're individually not perfect. We know that. But all our institutions, whether they're governmental, religious, in, you know, national, they've all had flaws. They've done mistakes. They've injured others. Can we carry a healthy view of that in, in that we respect one another because we know we're not perfect? You know, that's, that's in a simple description
2: is humility in short supply in the world is that what you're saying and is that a real
7: problem yeah so so we have to we have to really be careful how we use humility let's think of you know the US women winning the world cup yesterday and there were lots of comments about what you know what they did and how they celebrated um, but look there, there's there's a level of being proud of yourself that's legitimate and they, and they have to overcome so many obstacles think about women how much they've had to overcome just in sports let alone in regular life um Humility for some is, is a kind of fine line because some people really need to be built up. They need to be praised. They need to feel good about themselves. Others, they, they could use a little bit of uh, softening in, in terms of how, how much they think of themselves. So again, humility will be different for everyone. But I think we all need that healthy balance of looking at ourselves honestly with our strengths, but also, you know, our weaknesses.
2: On the other side, at the other end of the conundrum is hubris. And you talk about the, yeah. it in this book here. And there is, in a way... <laughs> A brashness, a self-confidence that comes to people at times when they feel they're, you know what I mean, that just can do anything.
7: Right. And again, sometimes this is great. Yeah. We think of people with visions who have that conviction, that willpower, that that dogged determination to accomplish goals. To a large extent, that's fine. But the question is. How you treat people along the way, so if you can reach your goal and whatever that is, be the best you know, social worker, the best basketball player, the best father, whatever this is, but we have to make sure we treat others justly, and I think that 's where the hubris the negative side comes in where some people you know cross the line because they want to do whatever it takes to push their agenda to push their views or to get ahead, or whatever the Yes,
2: famous. you talk about it when, when you talk about faith and of course you talk about non-faith and, and lots of other in this book as well. But when you refer to faith, you, you talk about we talk about being humble there. You also talk about being just, compassionate, a pluralist and dialogical. In other words, that there's talk, you know, that mm, we talk yeah. between faiths right, right. as well. There's a lot
7: of there's a lot of expectation in there to ask everyone to buy into all of those yeah, I mean, I guess one one way to look at it is is the other way working. I mean, I mean, does it work when you try the totalitarian? Our the way is the only way. Does does that work? I, I, I'm I'm not too sure. Um, but it does take a lot of trust to really say I'm going to give this other side the benefit of the doubt, and that gets. That can be very difficult among our own people. I mean, if you are a certain kind of Jewish person, a certain kind of Muslim, even talking to fellow Muslims or Jews who are of a different, you know, it might be hard to do if you're a Catholic and you, you call yourself liberal or conservative and talking to that other version can be hard, let alone speaking to somebody from a very different persuasion. So that that takes trust, that takes a kind of vulnerability, and none of us like to be vulnerable. I mean, that's that's, a, that, that's very you know, it's hard to admit that. But again, I, I think it's worth doing. I think you, your your world opens up when you start to really listen to other people. Uh, and that's just what you're what you're saying.
2: We look at Ireland and you're familiar with our history and the yeah. domination of the Catholic Church, course, you know, yeah. for hundreds of years in this country and how all that has come crumbling down. And now you hear people saying, oh, Ireland, sure, it's just a secular society yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, that's yeah. what they want. Is it possible to be secular and have... You know, faith and belief—you know—at two opposite
7: ends—is it possible to marry those? Sure. So again, like especially in academia, there's so many different definitions, and and when we talk about the secular, um, it, it's wide ranging. So you have religious people who are deeply supportive mm. of the secular. You have secular versions of religions. Again, um, but the 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 secular that let's say I'm pushing um, again is is this society wide um, practice and belief where where you know. Religious, non-religious, theistic, non-theistic—all these belief systems have a place. They have a role um, in in a full, um, as full way as possible. Um, but no specific one is, let's say, um, promoted over others. And and that's really that's really the key. It's it's everybody comes to the table. And again, by everybody, you, you know, you're not talking about fringe groups that have you know unethical ideas against human rights. But we're, you know, we're talking practically bringing all these groups to the table um, and, and, and supporting them where you can. But again, not promoting one over the other or preventing one from, from let's say, building temples or, or mosques or, or whatever the issue is. Yeah. You describe yourself as a theist. Yeah. Which means? Yeah, so this is a believer in God. And again, what kind of God? So this is where the, 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 the issues come in. But in, in my case, I have to believe in an all-loving God, um, a God who can somehow, and that's the key, somehow work through and overcome all the evils in our world. Um, look, that that that'll give us weeks to discuss that. But you know, that's the hope. But I think it's that all loving—that's the important part. That God loves everyone, and that's that's hard for some of us to understand. But but that's but that has to be the key if it's God. The scientific the scientific believers would say, "Hold on a minute, Peter.
2: There's there's logic to all this. There's yeah. logic to this world, to where we live, to the to mankind, the human race, how it came about. Nothing to do with any God that you talk about, or." Sure.
7: See I think that's where the humbling comes in on the other side and I've been happy to hear that that many atheist thinkers have supported the book um in that sense because um again the, this call for logic this call for testing for experimentation that's good I I mean that 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 has its place um but this sort of obsessive because it kind of is this obsessive idea that everything everything can be quantified and everything can be sort of put into a number and there's there's lots that we don't know lots that change and i think making any definitive comment uh, you can have doubts that's everyone has doubts but i think to sort of say no clearly there's no soul there's no heaven there's no afterlife there's no higher power there's no beyond the body i i I can understand the doubt but i i kind of question when there's that certitude
2: you use the words eternal oblivion. So when this life ends, well, that's it. There was nothing before. There's nothing after. Yeah. Yet faiths and beliefs want us to believe and and latch onto the fact that there is an ongoing presence. We were somewhere. We will be something.
7: Yeah. Again, the, and even um, you know, let's say non non theist people can also have this idea that our memory can carry over because you can think about works you've created or people that you've, you've touched. Um, so there's even that sense, but um, for most, let's say, theistic people, those who believe in God, they, they want some kind of, you know, postmortem justice, um, you know, so that's where the afterlife comes in more for a lot of people. Um, you know, I think, some of us might say, look, if we've had a good life, we don't necessarily have to move on to any kind, right? There could be some. But when we think about those who have not had a good life, who've had horrible lives, who've had no lives at all, this is where um, I think the issue of justice and God and an afterlife become really acute. And so that's why for most, uh, you know, religious believers, they say, no, there has to be something, because otherwise is it even just to worship a God if, if you know, there's, there's these unresolved, major unresolved issues that are left over.
2: Do you feel that, you know, you've heard it, the opium of the masses, yeah. that it's been described of right. belief or faith. Is it that? Is it something that, you know, is there to yeah. you no, know create a, a decent society and that life is good for people, even though we talk about all the, the flux and troubles in the world?
7: Yeah, I, I mean, again, I guess the tricky thing is whether we can put a positive spin on opium. You know, if we could say, is there something about opium that's good? And most of us would say no. but But... In at a very practical level, religion obviously can 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 make you a better person. Do you need it to be a better person? That's another question. Because clearly, there are many people who have no religious belief, no no theist belief, and and there's there's kind as the day is long. Um, but but certainly, um, you know, when Marx was using that term, it was generally speaking because religion was being used in a way where the people were not calling for their own rights, their legitimate rights. You know, fortunately, most of the world religions today are are, are you know, would be against the idea of, of being quiet and not speaking out when when you need to when there's injustice. So, so in that sense, I think Marx might might change his mind a little bit if you were with us today. But but anyway,
2: if you're of a Christian faith and you're aware of what's going on, particularly in the Catholic Church, yeah. not alone in this country but over the world, and you 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 you. Reflect and think, my, oh, my, you know, this is just shocking. How, how could this happen? Now, are not talking about other faiths such yeah. as Islam or Buddhism or uh, they probably have their own issues that we don't actually hear about here. Yeah. But there's, things like that just undermine this whole thing of God or a greater power.
7: Yeah, I mean, as a Catholic theologian, uh, especially before Pope Francis, cause I think there's been a nice change. Um, but before Pope Francis, there were many times I wanted to hide. Um, there's no way as a Catholic theologian where you're saying, how can I be Catholic or how do I deal with this? Um, but again, I think that is part of the humbling. Um, and this is where I hope every group would, would take this idea on. But just speaking from my own background, um, let's say as a Catholic, as an American, as somebody Irish as well, to, to really face those horrors, those injustices. And you can't hide, obviously. You have to face them. And um, and, and when you, there's, there are difficult truths that come out when when you do that. So, but I
2: forgiveness is the key that line just jumped out at yeah. me when i as i went through this yeah. and, and and you know looked at the different chapters and and what you're talking about here is it really is that the, is that what we lack as well being able it's tough to forgive peter
7: yeah and again like there are some types of forgiveness that that you could say are unethical right so we have to be careful about this because it's not necessarily a blanket forgiveness like like without responsibility without justice without punishment um but underlying the, the whole thing is that if we admit that we're all um, in, in need of being forgiven, and if we actually admit that, yeah, we, we deserve to be humbled, or that we should be humbled, or our position should be humbled, forgiveness will be a part of that. Um, and I think it starts probably at self-forgiveness, which many of us find very difficult, because some of us can be very hard on ourselves um, but this idea of that self forgiveness and trying to be open to the other. Again, some of your listeners might think of really difficult cases and obviously that, that can that's look, and that's legitimate to say, How can I forgive this? or how and and that's and you know, we have to really look at those cases carefully. But certainly um, some of us perhaps don't forgive easily enough, you know, and I think that's also needs to be addressed too.
2: Peter Admirant is with me on late lunch. His book is called Humbling Faith. It is really thought-provoking and I've enjoyed it immensely. I have a copy here which I'm done with now and I don't like to leave books sitting on my shelf. I want to give it to a listener this afternoon. Would you like this? You really will enjoy it and it is deep but it's very, very important to try and get a grasp of this. If you'd like a copy of the book and I offer it to you today, all you have to do is answer this question. Which Roman city is regarded as the headquarters of the Catholic Church? Which Roman city is regarded as HQ for Pope Francis? It's a very difficult question. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Get your answers into us with your name and details, and I'm going to talk more to a very interesting man, Dr Peter Admirant, after the break. Dr Peter Admirant is with me on late lunch, and we're talking about his new book, Humbling Faith. I suppose a question I should have maybe started with, but I said I'd leave it a bit and then put it to you after we got into the book... Why did you write this book?
7: Yeah, so I, I think it came out a number of years ago. And again, this was during um, the U.S.'s War on Terror, um, Pope Benedict's papacy. And it was a time where as an American um, and certainly as a Catholic, it was difficult. Uh, the, you, many of your listeners know what the Ryan Report and these horrible, act, you know, true um, horrors that had come out. And I think it came to why do we abuse our power? And, and really, that that's the issue of... If we have power, and we all do, because any, any of you who are home, you might have a child, you might have an elderly parent, whatever, you, you have a certain power over these individuals, let alone if you're in business or finance or, or some other world. But how can we use our power humbly, ethically, and justly? So I think that, that was the, the, the driving force. And then I thought, okay, from, from a standpoint of a religious faith, what would be the areas that could humble and that's where I, I started to think about different ways like history, like forgiveness, like interfaith dialogue. These sort of areas that I think can, can humble your, your perspective and your outlook.
2: On the break, we mentioned another word with hate, not humble, honesty. We talked about it, you right. and I for
7: a moment. Yeah, there. Yeah.
2: And, and I'd like to talk about it for a moment now. There's not a lot of honesty in the world, especially from leaders and politicians.
7: Yeah, again, I think most, most of it is because everyone is afraid. Uh, looking badly, looking less intelligently um, you know there 's fear honesty can be difficult because you're're you 're you're afraid to be vulnerable again there 's that that word um, but I think you know if if you 're going to have a, a principled stance, you have to be honest so even when you ask me you know are you a theist these kind of tips you know that can be hard because you 're going what am i am i you know you have to re- if you take these words seriously uh, and you have to you have to speak them honestly and i think um, look honesty is difficult and we we know that, but it's it's certainly what we need. I mean we, we obviously can't have any kind of agreement um, whether it's you know brexit or whatever if people aren't being honest about what's actually driving them to, to say what they, they they do.
2: Fake news we leave that for another exactly. discussion another day. Now in the book um and I did say to you, I've had to reread uh, some sections of it as well to get a, a grasp on it sure. and, and that's understandable because it's a, a very serious subject and there's a lot of angles to it as well but towards the end of this book and I just looked at the cover I'm only after seeing it why didn't I see it before the now yeah. the elephant is on the front cover <laughs> yeah. and that's just come to me but the, towards the end you use the
7: zoo yeah. in in an analogy kind yeah. of way sure so so again, the, the, the chapters are divided into areas that humble, okay? So uh, in the final chapter on forgiveness, I decided, you know, um, I love zoos and I love elephants. I said, let me call Jerry Creighton, who's the Dublin Zoo Operations Manager, to interview him about how animals forgive. Because the idea was, we can't even be proud of, 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 our, of our human need for forgiveness because it seems like animals, non-human animals, let's call them, also forgive. Um, so that was where I interviewed Jerry about what elephants do what primates do and it's it's again the more we know about the non-human world again it's humbling you know we start to say things like oh we're kind well i don't know the dogs i've had have shown a lot more kindness and patience than i have um and again jerry just showed from a an an expert who knows how how elephants how primates they show what for all intents and purposes are forgiveness after being injured or showing some sign of, of being mistreated and and that's that, that's something we can learn about and it's also humbling as well and fun obviously but, yeah. the,
2: uh, and you know we have a view that we are a superior species you know yeah, yeah. But,
7: but we can learn and look, I mean, it's interesting how more and more the, the definition of what a human being is has changed over the years, right? I and mean, things like, oh, we, we're tool makers. And no, actually, we're not. That doesn't, that doesn't work either because other animals use tools. You know, maybe we, we um, show some kind of reason. well the animals seem to use reason. We use language. Well, they've, they've shown ravens and other types of, of animals also use language. So, again, the, the more science pushes the frontiers, the more we're, again, pushed to really say, you know, what makes us unique, Um, And I think more importantly for the ecological issues, we start to see ourselves in in these other species. And again, that helps hopefully with uh, protecting our environment and our world. Do you
2: think we ever learn as mankind? Because interestingly, in the book in 1391, now it's a long time ago, you mentioned the Spanish pogroms where Jews were obliterated. There are no synagogues. You know, the people were just wiped out. And here we move on to, you know, the 20th century. And the same happened with... The
7: Germans trying to obliterate the Jews. Yeah, I, I mean, in some ways, I think we, our world's clearly gotten better. If you think of um, the, the atheist scientist Stephen Pinker and some of his arguments, um, you know, that the world is a, is a much better place. Um, again, it's perspective, obviously, if you're, if you're a Syrian refugee right now, that's not true. Um, but there's, there's definitely there's, there's strides we've made. Um, and I think many of us, if we went back in time, we'd find, we'd struggle with the different views and outlooks, but, um, but it is frustrating that a lot of these problems keep reoccurring, like maybe the actors change. So maybe the, the, the victim isn't the same victim, but it's someone else. And so it, after a while, it's like, it shouldn't matter whether somebody is Jewish or Catholic or Muslim or gay, or why, why, why this constant labeling and persecution? And that's, what's frustrating. And that's the age old you know, problem we labels, have. Yep.
2: borders, fates, the differences. You know, are emphasised rather than you know something. There's not a lot of difference between mo- most of us.
7: Yeah, I mean, again, like we all like to have some identity, and like, again, not to go back to the World Cup, but I was enjoying it, so it's it's fine when the when the people from. England are rooting for the British and and, and look that's part of yes of course but again it's in it's in good spirit and at the end of the day look they're all connected they're all football players Mm. and they're 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 enjoying their the game and they're doing it with skill um but that's the question can you have that identity which we need but not impose it on other people and that's that's a lesson a lot of us don't don't take to we we seem to want to make make our make others like ourselves too much
2: there's no one answer, is there, Peter? That was my conclusion at the end of the day to all of this. Or do you believe that, as you say in the title there, humbling, you know, to be more humble, to accept, not to impose, to listen, to engage, to forgive? It's all in that mix, really.
7: Yeah, I, and I think there are, there are some basic things we all hopefully can agree on, um, you know, and, and this is about treating one another with respect. Yeah. That's very basic. Um but beyond that, we really have to, to be humble to say, well, is it, is it the only way if we go to this kind of religious um, building or if we don't go to any religious... Is, is it, does it have to be only one way? Um, and clearly, as we, as we meet more and more people and we see the good that they do... It's hard to, to make that claim and say, oh, there, there there's only this truth in in my way. Um, you know, it, it, That's where the many, I think, is important. To, and I think Ireland, as it becomes more and more, you know, multi-religious, multi-ethnic, this is only a good thing and it needs to be yeah. celebrated as much as possible. Congratulations
2: Thanks so on a really fine book. It's called Humbling Faith by Peter Admirant and it's out and available everywhere at the moment, thought provoking. And if we adopted this, Peter, I'll say this to you in conclusion. Wouldn't this be just a wonderful world to live? It (laughs) really would. Thank you again for joining me on the show today. Thanks very much. Water Safety Ireland, uh, commenting on the latest figures of the numbers of people who drowned in Ireland. It was 103 last year, uh, down slightly from the previous year, 109, but it's still almost five people a fortnight losing their lives uh, when they're out engaging with different water activities. I'm joined on the line by Anne Boyle. She's a swim instructor and water water safety teacher with Swim Ireland, uh, with Water Safety Ireland, I beg your pardon. Anne, thanks for joining me on the show.
8: No problem, Gerry.
2: Anne, this time of year, people love to get out to the beaches and go swimming and cool off in the hot weather. Those numbers I mentioned there, they're still very high. Why is that? Is the message not getting across? Do people just treat water with indifference?
8: No, often at this time of year, it's it's the most dangerous time. So we in Irish Water Safety, or Water Safety Ireland, as we're rebranded, would always... uh, it, try and get across to children is respect the water first of all never swim alone if you can at all possible please swim in lifeguarded waterways we're lucky in loud we have the three lifeguarded beaches they're blue flag beaches so they are Plowerhead Port and of course uh, um, Templetown in Cooley supervising your children at all time is really important so it is uh, like we were a volunteer uh, uh, Organisation, As you know, we're running the Jaisers Key Water Safety Week. But we're trying to save lives, uh, to train your children to be safe in and around water. And that's what the Water Safety Week is all about in Jaisers Key uh, next week.
2: So you're actually having a specific, uh, is it a weekend, a day or what there?
8: No, it's it's a full week. We've a week. run it since 1992. I've been um, there every year. Um, since 1992. I've been teaching uh, water safety since 1977 in the old Black Rock in Loud. Yes. Uh, So we have, but it's trying to get across that water is dangerous. You really need to respect water. Learn to swim. Swim. Learning to swim is one of the most important things you'll ever do, either as a child or an adult. And we often have, the, the people that actually came to us in the 90s, now their children are coming to us to learn to swim, to learn how to do rescue strokes and to be safe in and around water. That's what we're uh, trying to do. We're volunteers as well. Um, all We've loads um, that would have started off doing swimming lessons at the beach in United ski, and now they are our instructors uh, over the years and went on to be mammies and their kids are coming to us now. Now you so are like a little
2: family. Yeah, Oh, listen, you're such a long time there. And I'll come back to that before we finish. You mentioned there about learning to swim, and it is a, a vital yes. thing for everybody to do. And it, you're never too late to learn how to swim in life, absolutely I, not, I have no, to say. But not. there's a big difference between a, being a competent swimmer in a pool than when you go out to the beach and it's tidal or a river is flowing or there's a wind blowing on a lake.
8: It, it Absolutely, I totally agree with you there. So what we normally do is, um, a lot of the times we'd have maybe a child come and say, "No, they're really a good swimmer." We'd always try them out in deep water. What we say, so we try them out uh, at the, there's a slipway in I gy- I don't know if you're familiar with Jive's Key. Gy- there's a slipway where you can yeah. actually put your foot down, um, if you needed to, because uh, in the pool you can you're only a few seconds away from the side, or you can, mm. you know, kick off the bottom if you're in low water, but deep water. And um, sea, I'm mostly around sea, but I have taught in lakes and rivers and calvin as well. So you have to be, you know, really, really safe and be really water aware of, you know, respect the water again. Just know the dangers that are out there. Mm -hmm. And what often can happen is uh, if you're not used to particularly cold water, the first time you go in, you kind of, it's like a cold water shock where you would actually... Uh, feel oh my god I can't cope you know that it just hits you like um what like like a shot it just you just kind of you know be traumatized by it but you have to just give yourself a couple of seconds try and uh, set yourself not to panic mm. and uh, most of the time you can swim enough to save yourself and again if you're in water if you're a boating or anything like that always wear a life jacket that, you know, yes. those two things go hand in
2: hand. But, it goes uh, without saying yet that if you're out in water yeah, and I spend yeah, time... It is, uh,
8: yeah, it is. And, most, like, if you think about it, it's good to learn in the sea because that's where often a lot of accidents happen. It's, it's warm water. It's, it's warm at this time of year. People go out to the beach. they are going to have a lovely day. And most people do have mm. a, a lovely day. But water is dangerous, particularly, like, a lot of families would have maybe... Uh, balls or maybe inflatable toys or dinghies yes. and they're the most dangerous thing you can take they're grand in a pool or if you're in Spain absolutely fine But when you take them to a beach like we're here on the east coast so even east winds which would drag you straight out to sea if mm. you had something like that and god forbid it ever does happen you always sit, hold on to what you have hold on tight and try and signal for help
2: rather than um, trying to make a, a a break for the shore of your well-out. Oh, it's, if, you, if you if you
8: could, if you're a good enough swimmer, yes, but most people, if you're using those kind of floats, often you're not. Mm. Um, so really your
2: advice today is, Anne, balls, inflatable balls, lilos, things like that, leave them on the shore, don't take them out into the water. Yeah,
8: do, do. don't even put them in the car. You're right. Even, they're fine for Spain or for a pool yes. in, you know, really hot we- weather. I remember in Black Rock we used to have them and. They were great fun, but that was a 50-meter uh, pool. It was well lifeguarded as well. Yes, but it um, leave them at home. They're not safe. And
2: mm.
8: um, you often see children running after a wee ball, thinking if they don't get it, they're going to be killed by, and often parents shouting at them, you know, come back. But they're afraid to come back without the ball. This kind, you know.
2: Yes. Now um, you you mentioned the three beaches there that are lifeguarded yeah. and blue flag as well, but of course there are other beaches where people love to swim and they swam there for years. I what know, do you say to I people know. you know who go swimming that places are not lifeguarded? What should you do before you go?
8: Well, always the thing is um, never swim alone. That's one of the big yeah. uh, the big points. Swim if you can near uh, lifeguarded beaches if you can. Again, but people do go out and they they come home. You know, but. If they get a cramp or get into difficulty, that's when the problem arises and uh, you have to ring um, ring for help. But um, if you can at all, just go to the lifeguard beach. It, it's so much safer and it's good to, as a parent as well to bring your kids, let them know that there are these beaches, that their children will be safe. At. Um, I don't know if you're aware this year, the, uh, Water Safety Ireland went into primary schools and they have little wristbands which will be given out as well. Uh, letting children know about uh, lifeguarded areas, knowing that red over yellow means it's safe to swim in between them flags and red is dangerous, you don't go in mm. and things like that. It it's just, you know, I mean, because it's the children then coming home and telling the parents, no, Mom, this is where it's it's safer to swim there, where um, there's lifeguards there. And the lifeguards, like I train all the lifeguards that are in loud. So the lifeguards are very approachable. If you want to ask the I if you need any first aid, or if there's anything you want to know, the lifeguards are local to the area. They'll be able to tell you anything you need to know.
2: And local ponds, there are reservoirs in this uh, locality okay, as well. well River no, pools. Well,
8: clear, please, please, please don't go. It is just not safe. It's not safe. And often um, people think they're very good swimmers and that maybe they can swim a length of a pool. But when you're in and you're out of your depth and you can't put your foot down Mm. and your friend might know how to swim, it is just terrible. It's... You know, it's just please don't go into those areas okay so that's your advice today
2: don't go near them it's not worth it i know it may sound like fun at the time but they're dangerous there's depths there's currents in rivers that you don't know about and you're just asking for trouble really
8: Uh, well most people do come home but unfortunately some don't and it's so tragic it's just so sad when you hear about a drowning and that it's just your heart goes out or the parents and their friends, especially because they may have witnessed the drowning and, you know, just please don't go to
2: those areas. It's just not safe. Yeah, it's something that will stay with you for all time. Absolutely. It, it absolutely. really is. Anyway, we hear what you say today, Anne, and more information available on Water Safety Ireland, the website.
8: Yeah, water, uh, or you can come into our one, loud water, say, loud, wsac at com. Now, I can give out my number. It's oh eight seven. 087 7734087 or you, I'm Anne Boyle and um, our Facebook loud water safety as well but just please come to the water safety week respect the water don't swim alone um, always swim in life nice guarded areas if you can and if you come to us we'll train your children how to uh, swim better and to stay safe themselves on or near water
2: okay we we'll hear what you say Anne and that week is on is it next week
8: it's next week, yeah. We register on Sunday from 4 to 6, and um, we start then on the Monday at 10 o'clock. But if you can come at between 4 and 6, don't worry. Come before 10 on the Monday morning. And just to say, we are volunteers. When you come, you'll be able to speak to all the instructors. We can give you any information you need to know, and it's nice to put a name on the face as well. And um, all our instructors are qualified Um, and we'll have two beach lifeguards there as well just to keep everything safe we run a very safe fun week so it is all the kids enjoy it and we actually enjoy it too
2: Great stuff, Anne. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Appreciate no problem, it. Jerry. Thank you Take for, for letting us talk about it. Not at all. You're welcome. Bye-bye now. That's all Anne right, Boyle bye-bye. there. Bye-bye. Swim instructor and water safety teacher. And that, of course, happening next weekend in North Loud. Give us a shout and we have all the details on that as well. Anyway, that's a lot on late lunch this Monday afternoon. Thank you for joining us on the show. we we'll leave you today in the company of the late, great Bob Marley and the Whalers. Could you be loved? I hope you love this evening and many evenings more. See you tomorrow to have one.